RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 46, The Non-Canonical Victims. I'm Jonathan Mangus, and joining the show today from the Isle of Jersey and the English Channel is A.P. Wolf, the author of Jack the Myth from London, England, and the author of E1, A Journey Through Whitechapel and Spitalfields, is John Bennett. From Neath in Wales is Gareth Williams, and from Charlottesville, Virginia is Allie Ryder. The Whitechapel murder investigation file includes 11 murders from April 3, 1888 to February 13, 1891. In this list of 11 are what have become known as the canonical five murder victims of Jack the Ripper. Labeling these five women as victims of the same hand stems from notes on the case made by Metropolitan Police Chief Melville McNaughton in 1894. Two of the 11 murders occurred before the canonical five. While over time, other unsolved murders that preceded the events of August through November 1888 have been suggested as possible early attacks by the Ripper. This episode of the podcast will focus on these unsolved attacks that preceded the Canonical Five, and we'll discuss the likelihood that these attacks were or were not associated with the lone individual known as Jack the Ripper. The first question I'd like to throw out to the group is that given what we know of serial killers today, what do you all believe? are the chances that the murderer known as Jack the Ripper either attempted or carried out assaults and murders prior to the attack on Polly Nichols on the 31st of August, 1888? Um, I would say it was fairly likely just given um, precedent and what we know of serial killers. Very few go from zero to 60, and I believe at the very least there would have been assaults prior uh, to Polly, and I'm not necessarily one who believes that the canonical five is set, um, either with those who are included, deserving to be included, or that it's limited to just those women. So, given the urban setting, it might have been a little difficult for him to, you know, hide bodies like some modern serial killers have been able to do, but I don't necessarily think that we know everything there is to know about Jack's killings. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Ali on that one. Cause, um, a lot of, you know, quite a lot of Jack the Ripper theory books, if you like, often talk about, well, that serial killer did this, so therefore it's quite reasonable to expect that Jack the Ripper did that as well, or whatever. There's quite a lot of them. Do we think that that incidence of murders occurred by the perpetrator of the murder of Polly Nichols before her death, or, or do we think that maybe there were just uh, assaults that unacknowledged as uh, assaults by the same person who murdered the C5. I mean, it, it's possible, John. I mean, my, uh, uh, my view on this is that uh, sometimes sort of people get their heads stuck in the bucket of, um, of, 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 of serial killer, killer studies, if you like, tend to think only in terms of murders and, uh, and assaults, but uh, we shouldn't forget that, you know, um, there are other crimes out there uh, where you know serial killers have started off doing, like um, you know being peeping toms or um, or petty theft and so on. So it's not necessarily that uh, the case that there would have been murders or even assaults uh, leading up to um, as uh, as Ali once put it, you know, hit, hitting sixty. So I don't know, you know, I'm I'm agnostic on this, um, but but there could have been other violent crimes not associated with women, for example. Um, where, where the person who became known as Jack uh, was once involved. And what do you think, AP? Well, nice to meet you, Sam. <laughs> Thank you, AP. 
I think he would have started off uh, experimenting with his family and friends. Um, he wouldn't have gone on to stranger crime until he was uh, in a much more uh, disastrous condition. I think we, we should look to sort of um, family and friends uh, um, to see he, his early development, if you like, rather than look for stranger crimes um, because he would have started off experimenting on his family and friends rather than going out into a, a wider community and experimenting with strangers, I think. When, when you AP, when you say experimenting on family friends, do you mean things like sort of verbally attacking them or things like that? Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah. Just sort of. Yeah. Not necessarily. He, he, beating he, he up or oh, oh no, no. I would think beating no. them up and maybe using a knife. You know, mm-hmm. but because yeah. he knew he would be safe in that family and friendship environment. Yeah. Um, but the minute he took it out in the street, that was that was a real progression of events, yeah. if you like. You know. And yeah. there is some historical precedent for that as well. Um, I was just studying some more about the Green River Killer, and apparently there was an incident in his uh, late teenage years where he stabbed one of his friends with a knife. It was, you know, right. a male friend, but he yeah. stabbed him with a knife, yeah. and it, it was never it, really reported. It, and he just said, "I wanted yeah, to know it, what it felt like." It, it's going to start off in his family or his his close circle of friends if he had any. Um, I mean, he's a very complicated guy, and he's not going to go straight out and assault a stranger. He's going to develop that within his family and friendship circle, isn't he? I, I think that's obvious, and, and the cases I've studied from the period certainly seem to indicate that, you know. I can't see him going straight out and attacking a stranger. This is something he's learned over a period of years through a very confined, constrained family situation, you know, and then taking it out. He learned, learned and got away with, no doubt. Of course, of course, he had. Yeah, with, yeah. I mean, how, how we always protect our family and friends, huh? mm. even when they're mad. I don't. Also. I, don't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. I don't give a rat's ass. I don't really care. Um, I've always been a person of I believe in taking responsibility for actions, but I do think that that's part of how a lot of these people develop. Is that you know they aren't to be accountable at an early age for the things they do. It is sort of seen as, oh, youthful hijinks, or uh, it's not taken as... I I do believe now it's changed. I do believe in in modern times right now with, you know, everything we know about the serial killer, the, what is it, the the triad of of, uh, symptoms, and you know what I'm saying, that the the bedwetting and the the fire starting and and the... animal torture, that people are now starting to recognize the symptoms, but I still do believe that, that there is a tendency to look at acts of aggression in young males also, and just sort of say, oh, that's just you hijinks, and it's not taken as seriously as it should, um, and they're not called into account as as they should be, which allows a lot of this to foster. So as for whether there would have been Jack the Ripper killings, I can't say for sure, but I, I, I guarantee you that there were assaults at the very least that were his that weren't attributed to him. Yeah, but, but probably within his family or, or his social relationships. I mean, we're talking about the same sort of thing. This is a guy who's progressed through a certain number of years where he hasn't been known to the public. Then suddenly he turns up at school and starts shooting people, you know? That's more or less what right, we're looking at, I, isn't it? Um, I don't know if I would agree with that. Not When, when we're talking about shooting incidences like that those are generally 
um, you know, pure rage killings, and they tend to happen in sprees. You know, a mass killing at one you, time. You don't you think know? the you don't think the wilders were rage killings then, Ali? <laughs> I think I there was a lot of rage there. But I don't think it was targeted purely because I'm angry, so I'm going to kill people. These are attacks predicated by women, which in my mind brings a sexual component to them. Somebody who just goes and starts indiscriminately shooting people, not targeting men, not targeting women, just targeting people, is a very different breed of killer than someone who takes a knife and stabs a woman, and only women repeatedly over a period of time. So I do believe yeah. that he would have assaulted outside of his family random women prior to this. Yeah, I, I, I just see the same sort of progression that that you've got a guy who's developing within his own social circle, family and everything, and then suddenly he comes outside of that in a very big way. And, and, and that's the difference, isn't it? He's, he's, he's migrated, if you like, from, from the bosom of his family and his social circle, and he's gone out in the street and he's hammered it home, hasn't he? You know? And we won't see that progression because that would have been within his family, but we can see it in certain cases, obviously, you know? But for me, it would. It, uh, I, I don't see him as progressing through a, uh, a, a system of assaults on women before he started these attacks. I don't see that. Sorry. Now, do we think that he may have been like, a, as a Gareth and Alley alluded to, petty thefts and other, you know, smaller crimes? Do, do we think that um, that the murderer of Polly Nichols would have had a police record? Do we think he would have been charged with any crimes? No, no, I don't think so, because those those crimes would have been committed within his own social circle, where he was protected. You know, that's how I feel. Maybe other people have other opinions. That's how I feel. It's a, I mean, it's one half a dozen of the other. Um, you look at Ted Bundy, no. You look at um, someone else, and, and the answer is yes. There's no real way of knowing. It just depends on how crafty was he in, in, in his prostitution activities prior to that. Um, you know, there's there's no way to know. I think a lot of times people want to take – and while you can look I'm, – I'm guilty of it. And I say, well, you know, if we look at serial killers of the past and the present and the future, we can extrapolate this. But it's not like there's a – he's a serial killer, therefore he did this. There's no real way. There, there's certain things you can say that he probably didn't go and just one day say, "Hey, I'm going to start serial killing women," because logically that doesn't make sense. But as to whether he would have been on the police books before that, it, I just feel that there's absolutely no way to make a, a logical determination of whether of whether that that happened or not. I think. Well, um, well I think, I think, I think like saying um, six of one, six of one, and half a dozen of the others is quite a good way of saying it. Because sorry, AP. Um, Six one half a dozen of the others a good way of saying it because he might have done things and just got away with it because in his social circle or he might be on the police records and I don't see it's unreasonable to accept either side actually but you know we, we won't know but I personally can't see either one being unreasonable to assume. Well, the reason I asked the question was because I wonder if the uh, if if he was um, subjected to court proceeding or, or you know, um, if he had experience with law enforcement, if, if it would have either acted as a deterrent or oppositely, it could have um, kind of increased his um, antisocial feelings. I think it depends largely on whether he got away with it or not. 
you know, this 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 feeling perhaps of <clears throat> invincibility that might have been engendered by uh, his getting a uh, getting away with it, or, or just getting away with the uh, the proverbial rap on the knuckles uh, for some youthful misdemeanor uh, or hijinks, high spirits, as Ali put it. Um, that could have been spurred him on, if anything. Right. Um, but um, so, so maybe <clears throat> whether or not he was convicted of anything. I mean, we need to look at the, um, the social background of uh, well, the East End and the poorer areas of London at, at the time. You know, I mean, petty crime and um, petty violence, if there's such a thing, um, was almost you know a, a way of life in, in many of the rougher areas. Uh, and so he could have been brought up in this sort of brutalised atmosphere anyway and, and, and literally got away with it uh, throughout his life. Um, I'm assuming there that, you know, these were the social circles in which he moved. Uh, I know that there are opinions to the contrary. Uh, but if he did grow up in that sort of area, then he, he might have seen and got away with a hell of a lot, uh, which might shock us today, but which was, you know, part and parcel of the rough and tumble of the East End. But if he was caught... Yeah, but- uh, they they dealt with crimes like petty theft and simple assault very seriously, as we you know, in the Victorian period. Isn't that right? Indeed, but then it was a question of getting caught in the first place. Right. I mean, you know, there's, there's only so much water you can push through a funnel. Um, and Sam, you, 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 yeah, <laughs> sorry, it's a stretch I metaphor. Say so, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're making the assumption. Yeah, you're making the assumption that the, the killer was from the lower class. Um, I am, yes. I think it's a dangerous but, assumption, you know. Well, that may be I the think case, it's a big you know, but... assumption to make, you know. I, I, yeah, well, absolutely. I, I tend to think yeah. the killer came from middle class, you know. And to, to restrict him to a class, like the, the lower class, and say, well, this is how he should have developed, he should show up the court records, I mm. think is, is, is uh, simplifying it. Perhaps too much. I think, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think that just goes to show that we've got you know a number of different dimensions at play here, and that, you know there's a number of different ways of um, of cutting it, uh, if you pardon the expression. Um, so you, you you could take you know the, the view that I do uh, that, that he's more likely to have been of, of, of a lower class. Other people think he's more likely to to, to have been uh, you know a commuting well, killer, whatever. Uh, so there are, there are many variables at play here. So there's no simple answer, is what I'm saying. Well, it's a fair point, but I think it, it, it sort of reflects that the majority of serial killers are not from a lower class, they're from a middle class, you know, and I, I just feel we're looking at a middle class person here rather than a lower class person, and we mustn't allow the East End as it was at that time to influence our judgment there, because the but East End was only I think if you've got someone who... Who was obviously was driven in some way, shape, or form to do those, you know, the terrible things that we all know about. Um, I don't think, you know, if they did have any previous, as they say, uh, you know, whether it's stealing an orange or getting into a fight outside a pub or whatever it is, and they did get caught for it or get, did get, you know, in front of the beak for it. Uh, when you think about what he did later on, perhaps it's not too unfair to suggest that that would probably not put him off. Uh, if he was driven enough in that respect, then a, a slap on the wrists from the courts was probably wouldn't really make much difference. I wouldn't have thought. 
I'm talking about whether the murderer was from the lower class or the middle class. And this is kind of directed towards AP. I'd like your views on this. Um, what do you make of the witness reports, the sightings of the murderer, in particular the sighting of the murderer with Catherine Eddowes in the moments prior to her death? Do you think that that could give us any kind of indication on, on um, what class background the murderer may have been? Um, that's a difficult one for me. I, um I think uh, a large number of the witness statements indicate he was from middle class rather than lower class. And, and to be honest with you, J.M., I, I don't think a lower class uh, East Ender would have got away with, with this. Um, I think he had to be from a class outside of the class he was attacking. And, and that's so common in, uh, with, with this type of behavior. When men kill women, they don't usually they, they, they'll go out of their class to do it you know it's, um, it's like a social that. statement women usually no? kill their wives which would be their class i would say i mean nine times out yeah of that's men. that's that's not what we're talking about ali is it you know we're not talking about men who kill their wives we're talking yeah, about strangers i'd say kill women but no when men, when strangers kill they normally go to prostitutes and prostitutes tend to be of the easy, slim... And they're, usually, they're usually middle-class men, Ali, you know? Right. You said that... Who, who do that. that Go to a lower class. And what we're talking about when we're talking about it is where do you find easy victims? It's not like they, you know, they, they tend to pick... the When we're talking about serial killers, they pick them because they are the easiest victims. And as 99% of them have said, they said that it's because they won't be missed. So... Most serial killers are white men who are lower middle class. I think that needs to be emphasized, not just class. They're lower class. And they do tend to kill within the lower class, but it has nothing to do with their social status in life. It has to do with where are you going to find an easy victim. You're not going to find the easy victim living in the Hamptons, although that has happened as well. I just think there's, you know, we're looking at two different uh, class levels here between the killer and his victims. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm not convinced of that. It's just how I feel. Okay, let's uh, start talking about some of these victims now. Um, the earliest, the, Fairy Faye is referred to in uh, first in September of 1888 in a uh, broadsheet called Lines on the Terrible Tragedy in Whitechapel. This broadsheet basically describes, uh, it refers to... Uh, the victims, um, Annie Millwood and Ada Wilson, both of whom we'll touch on later, but also refers to this earlier victim saying that she died 12 months ago, which would have been around Christmas time, 1887. Then the Daily Telegraph newspaper ends, pick, ends up picking this up, and, and they actually pinpoint the date of the assault on Ferry Fay as December 26th at Osborne and Wentworth Streets. But the description in the telegraph ends up tallying with everything known about the attack on Emma Elizabeth Smith. Nevertheless, Fairy Fay, this 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 attack on um, on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, 1887, uh, in the earlier years of Ripperology, um, around the turn of the century and up until the 1950s, I guess Fairy Fay was pretty much considered an early vict- uh, an early potential victim of Jack the Ripper. I believe at the time of the murders in the in 1888 or 1890, members of parliament were even in their speeches referring to this attack. But now the, the assault on Fairy Fay is considered a myth. 
Could anyone like to expound on on um, on how this uh, assault on Fairy Fay um, kind of became part of the story of Jack the Ripper? Um, can I? I've got a little thing because I've got this in front of me here. The, how it all developed over the years up until about um, 1950. Uh, the madman who murdered nine women in the Reynolds News, and uh, when we did the Royal Conspiracy podcast, one of the things that somebody mentioned, I think I was into it as well, was this idea that we got little seeds of of the basic story, and as time went by, things were added to it, and you know, and characters were added to it until it just got you know out of control. And I see something like this because you know, originally she starts off with no, it just a you know a year ago, we have a victim, then we have a date. Um, then we have a location, and to be honest with you, when you look at it, it actually looks, sounds like a confusion with the Emma Smith murder. And then later on, uh, other people start chipping in, and we get a name suddenly, until eventually she was she was murdered whilst taking a shortcut home from a pub in Mitre Square. And there was no pub in Mitre Square, but it just seems like one of those sort of things where, you know, these literary things where people just start adding their own two pennies worth. Can, I, can I just bring you up legend. there, John, on the pub in Mitre Can I bring you up in the pub in Mitre Square? John? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a coffee shop there. A coffee um, the shop? coffee shop was a pub. Yeah, it was a pub at that time. Yes, it, it was a pub at that time. Coffee shops are pubs at that time. Right, period. okay, I got you. Yeah. Oh, I see, right. They served alcohol. Yeah. And there okay. was a shop in Mitre Square, run by Jews. Right. Oh. Do we think that the, the attack on Fairy Faye is a complete myth and a, a complete confusion with the, the, the attack on Emma Smith? Or, or is there somewhere a kernel of truth to an earlier attack? Um, I mean, some well, of the uh, early reports, sorry, John, um, uh, you know, did refer to um, a, a blunt object of some description uh, being involved in the, in the Fairy Faye murder. Mm. Um, and, and indeed a gang of people I think were, were one report has it um, but these are clearly elements of the uh, the later Emma Smith murder um, so it's, you know, it's, it's not just the location and the, the rough time uh, at least in relation to the rest of the Whitechapel murders but, but the actual uh, physical attributes of it, the assault by by uh, a number of boys and, and the use of a blunt instrument seems to be uh, a, a confusion with uh, the Emma Smith murder. Yeah, that was that sounds like it was in that was the Daily Telegraph. I have it here. the tenth and eleventh of September, and not yeah. only did it give the date, but it also said the location was somewhere around Osborne Street and Wentworth Street, which also you know, suggests a sort of mixing in with the Emma Smiths. Right, and then it's, you know, it, it, isn't it also true that early newspaper reports that would refer to the Fairy Fay incident would not include the Emma Smith incident. So they, so it was either kind of like a, they, isn't that, that an indication that they were talking about the same assault? That the, that the reports that would mention Fairy Faye would leave out Emma Smith and vice versa. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise you've got two well, murders in exactly the same circumstances, you know, in the same place. Can, can I uh, just comment on that? Certainly. Yeah. Um, uh, I studied all the inquest reports um, over a three-year period to try and track down this uh, this case. Rather than look for Fairy Faye, I looked for uh, a woman who might have been murdered or whatever in these circumstances, and I was unable to find anything at all. Um, 
But what is interesting is I think it's Baxter. I can't remember now. So I'm out of speed by about two years here. He did include uh, uh, an unnamed woman when he was summing up. Um, he, he said three victims had fallen to uh, Jack the Ripper or the Whitechapel murderer. And that's when he was commenting on the Martha Tabram case. So obviously he, he felt there was something, but I've never been able to find it. I've searched, I, I, so I've read every inquiry over those three years, um, from 1886 to 1889, and never found anything. So I was going to say something to that effect, that, that you know, the, the inveterate press trawlers and court case trawlers and all that, they're... It's amazing how often things come up that you've never seen before, and an AP you've just sort of said basically that yeah, you know, no matter how much you've looked for a possible person, it just hasn't hasn't I, come up. I have looked, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it, it's not there. But then 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 there's Baxter's comment, you know. Why yeah. did he think mm. there were three at the time of Martha Tabram? Why? I don't know. I haven't been able to find it. Well, could it have referred to Wilson, Millwood, and Emma Smith? And, possibly, and, yeah. possibly, mm. yeah. yeah. But, but uh, you know, with um, with some of those cases, I'm I, I, I'm just a bit confused and unhappy. It's like with Ada Wilson. Um, I posted it some years ago on on, on the message boards, but since, since collapsed. But I found an exactly similar case to Ada Wilson that happened about a year before, with a guy, you know. So. We could be going back even further. I don't know. It's it's a difficult one for these victims. Now, Annie Millwood on um, Saturday, the twenty fifth of February, eighteen eighty eight, was admitted to the Whitechapel Infirmary, uh, suffering from numerous knife wounds to her legs and lower torso. She uh, lived at a lodging house at Eights White's Row, and she described to the police that she was attacked by a man who had drawn a clasp knife from his pocket. And she recovered from her injuries, was discharged to the South Grove workhouse a month after being admitted to the infirmary, and then 10 days after her discharge, she collapsed at that workhouse and died. <coughs> Coroner Wim Baxter ruled her death as a, a sudden effusion into the pericardium from the rupture of the left pulmonary artery through ulceration which means that she did not die as a result of the attack, but from natural causes. But nonetheless, um, the attack on Annie Millwood, people have, have drawn similarities with the attack on Annie Millwood to the attack on Martha Tabram. What do we uh, believe of, of the attack on Annie Millwood? And, and could, it, could it be associated with uh, the later murders of Jack the Ripper? Just one very quick thing, and I don't know if this might be... Uh when I mentioned earlier on about you know, people trawling press reports and things like that, as far as I know, is there no ever any sort of report about where apparently the actual attack actually took place? Because I think, am I to understand that she was a resident of the lodging house in White's Row and that she she was found there or whenever it was? And uh, But I don't ever seem to recall anywhere where it said where the, it actually took place, unless, of course, someone's possibly found a connection. I don't know. As far as I know, there's been no one who's found any where she was attacked. Um, yeah. The latest that I'm reading, I did want to mention just briefly that apparently Annie Millwood 
it seems that there's going to be some updated information about her um, following up on some research that Mark Ripper did. And then Robert mm-hmm. Clack, um, author of Then and Now, has followed up on um, a lead that he he uh, that Mark Ripper originally um, wrote about that says that Annie Millwood might actually be Annie Millward, born um, Annie East Perry, and uh, that her name of Millwood is actually inaccurate, and that it should be Millward, M I L W A R D. So mm-hmm. it's just a little bit of trivia. I don't know if anyone else has read that. Um, it's apparently going to be some updated information in Rob Clack's um, new book or robin phil's new book that's going to be coming out Mm -hmm. but um as far as i know there hasn't been any indication of where the attack actually took place although there is some new research going into um annie millwood slash millward at the time but in so much as as her um the likelihood of her being you know the martha tabram like nature of her attack um whether she was a victim of jack or not she's one i've always looked at with martha tabram as as just you know, it's interesting. I like to look at it. And go. She was attacked. She was stabbed in the sort of lower abdomen and leg, wasn't she? <coughs> she was, yeah. Leg. Yeah, she was. Millwood uh, was stabbed in the lower part of the body and the legs, uh, which is rather different from Arthur Tabram, whose killer tended to target her upper body. I mean, multiple stab wounds in the neck, uh, in the chest, in the upper abdomen. Um, and if you do the mathematics, very few in the lower abdomen and none on the legs. Um, so he shifted his focus if it was the same guy. It could have been a shift of focus. It, it also could have been um, lack of, uh, without being, you know, vile here, if someone attempts to violently stab a woman in her vagina or the groin area, a lot of those hits are going to be to her legs. We don't really know what Indeed. part of the leg um, was targeted. And just purely on my own speculation, I sort of see when she says her lower abdomen and her legs, I'm picturing a lot of thigh. Um, injuries. I, I don't really see him going below the knees. And so, uh, is it a, a shift in focus, or is it a, you know, he was targeting one specific thing in one, and then that didn't quite get him what he wanted, so he shifted focus and targeted. And also, she lived. That's right. A, That's what I was going to say. There's a lived, and the next time, hey, that didn't work out so well. Let's shift up a little bit and and have a little better result. I mean, and again, this is pure speculation on my part based on absolute no fact. Just if we're going to suppose for a moment that um, um, Annie's uh, killer was the same as Martha's killer, then perhaps that was part of the reason why uh, of the shift in focus. Right. And it's because she survived the attack that we, we probably have a vagueness as far as, you know, there's a lack of specificity on exactly what. Uh, how many stab wounds and where they were located, um, you know, because she did survive the attack. I mean, I think it's re- just referred to as numerous stabs. Sad to say that if she had actually died, we'd probably know more about exact- her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we, we're not even sure if Annie Millwood was a prostitute. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that's ever been um, verified, has it? She was. She's referred to as a widow of a soldier, but that's about it. I don't. You know, she lived in a lodging house, but not not all women who lived in lodging houses in the East End were prostitutes. No. So there's just well, well, just just referring back, John, to the, the earlier um, sort of or, or soon to be made revelation by um, Rob Clackett, etc., about the name Millward as opposed to Millwood. Um, if you look at the the Springheel Jack 
story. Uh, back in 1803, a respectable bricklayer called Thomas Millward, or Millwood, um, was, was shot uh, when he got mistaken as the Hammersmith ghost. So I don't, I don't know if there's some sort of tragic family thread running through that, but uh, perhaps I'll pass that on to Rob Clark and he, he can do some investigation. Writing people's, writing people's names down in those days was a pretty fluid thing anyway, so there's no, nothing to suggest, nothing unreasonable to suggest that it might be a different spelling, in which case it could well be a um, different person, that sort of thing. Indeed. The month following the attack on Annie Millwood, or Millward, as the case may be, Ada Wilson, who was living at 9 Maidman Street in Mile End, was locking up her house for the evening when there was a knock at her door, and she was confronted by a man who was described as about 30 years old with a sunburned face and a fair mustache, 5 feet 6 inches tall, who wore light-colored trousers, dark coat, and wide-awake hat. He demanded money from her. When she refused, he drew out a clasp knife and stabbed her twice in the throat. Her screams were loud enough for her neighbors to be alerted, and the doctor was summoned quickly, and she survived her attack. And this assault on Ada Wilson has become lumped into the potential uh, Whitechapel murder victims because not only of the uh, knife assault to the throat, but the description of the individual who assaulted her. What does anyone want to um, comment about the uh, assault on Ada Wilson? I would like somebody to clarify for me, not being familiar with knives as much as I am with other kinds of weaponry. Um, both she and Annie Millward were attacked by what they described as a clasp knife, which in my imaginations, I'm assuming, is like one of the ones that you fold in and out. You know, it has a little... Like a switchblade. Right, sort of like that, which would be different, but her, both her and, and Annie Millward did, did, described it as a clasp knife, which would be different than what the knives of the, um, the rest of the victim were uh, described as being. Am I inaccurate in this, or can someone clarify the knives involved? Because I was taken by the fact that they both described them as a clasp knife. And I'm not sure how... A clasp knife knife would need to be unfolded. It would be carefully folded. It's not like a modern flick knife or something like that. Um, It was designed to be carried in the pocket without causing an offence. Last knife would be you would have to sort of all and not be a menace to the public. That's why they could get the working men could carry it. So if he was going to attack someone, he would have to actually undo that knife and and attack them. Um, designed to evade the law, if you like. So I, I am correct in what I'm thinking, like a jackknife, a folding knife type type of of weapon, which was not what they're saying was used on the canonical five. Correct. Correct, <clears throat> which um, I think it was uh, Dr. Baxter Phillips said, you know, it was no, no doubt a straight knife. You know, so a, right. a, a straight knife of about six to, six to eight inches in length, sharp and very thin. Uh, that, that's not the sort of thing um, that you'd describe a clasp knife as. Now, what about the assault on Tabram? Uh, was a clasp knife used um, as one of the weapons in that? This the moon made a cheese. What what do you say, AP? I said, "Is the moon made of cheese?" (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, because I was the reason I asked is is because it seems almost like these early victims are being compared to Martha Tabram's assault, whereas a lot of uh, uh, commentators, for lack of a better term, on the Jack the Ripper crimes uh, would dismiss Tavern. Some some dismiss, some do not. But it's interesting that these early attacks are being thought of as maybe um, Jack the Ripper assaults, but but the most common parallels they're being drawn to uh, is the assault on Tabram, and not any (laughs) of the other canonical, not any of the canonical victims. Tabram's knife Mm. was just as a pen knife, which is yet another knife I have no reference for. Um, I think it's also, uh, I'm guessing it's a smaller knife than a, than a regular. Uh, the doctor a described it as an ordinary pen knife. I'm look, I'm Other than the bayonet I'm... wound. The, re- the knife yeah. wounds were described as by that of an ordinary pen knife. Yeah, one of the things we mentioned earlier on about the clasp knife thing, I wasn't really quite that sure what a clasp knife was, and I just Googled it up, and I got loads of images here of things that look like what we would, I presume over here, would consider to be a pen knife, like your Swiss Army knife type thing with a blade that comes out. Some have got lots of different things on it. Some of them look pretty, um, pretty mean. Um, so I would always, I, assume, I don't know about anyone else, I assume pen knife to be not unlike what they describe a clasp knife to be, like something that. But whether that's just um, a colloquial court use of that really. phrase. So they're more like pocket knives. Yeah. And yeah. thin as well. Ones, you know, hence, hence the word clasp. All, the, all, the, all the knives that he used, if we're going to presume for a moment that Jack the Ripper was all of these, or that there was one killer responsible for all of these, two of them failed. One, he had the bayonet was the wound that killed her, not the pen knife, clasp knife. So if we're if we were to speculate that all of these were made by someone, maybe he said, you know what, this little knife, it's not working. They're living, and that's what prompted a switch to a different knife. Because not even with Tabram did the the knife wounds killed her. It was the final bayonet wound. But again, this is pure speculation and not at all based on any sort of fact. It's a bit like Wiley Coyote trying to kill the the, the Roadrunner, isn't it? He, he tries different things out and gets progressively more. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. If at first you don't <laughs> succeed, get an Acme rocket. Well, that, that's an interesting point. I mean, if he, um, because uh, if he, uh, I mean, what what does that what is, what does that say about you know the arguments that maybe uh, like for instance George Chapman can't be Jack the Ripper because he switched from stabbings to poisonings? Is there any argument that can be made that because these early victims and Tabram were killed by essentially pocket or uh, assaulted by essentially pocket knives, but then the later victims? What do you, what does everyone no, think about this? That- is it this or is it just the use of, of the knife in particular? He could have been using a wooden stick, like in the case of Emma Smith, and decided that a knife might work much better. I mean, if I shoot four times with a twenty-two and they don't die, and the next time I decide to use a three fifty-seven, that's not really switching my my preference. That's upgrading my firepower. Um, so I don't, you know, if, if the first knife proves too small, you get a bigger knife. If you really have stabbed somebody and the little knife isn't doing it, it's logical to go to the bigger knife. Um, I see that as something completely separate as a person who mutilates and stabs and disembowels women 
suddenly being satisfied with poisoning, which is a much, I don't want a gentler method of death, but it's, it's, it, it is, it's a much, uh, it's not as an, intru- I don't know, I, I don't know how I'm trying to say this, but like a, a less, uh, in in your you know your hands in it type it's more distant it's more remote method of death than than the than the, the killings of Jack the Ripper. I I, I take it a stage further, Ali, and, and um, say that you know it's not just the size of the knife, uh, but uh, what you do with it. Uh, that's a bad expression. Um, in that, I mean, where we've got we've got stabbing murders, uh, you know, the physical sensation of driving a driving a knife forward is, is, is rather different to, to cutting, you know. Um, so, you know. Try stabbing a joint of meat and then try carving a joint of meat. The, the, the feedback that you get is entirely different. Uh, so as a, as a potential differentiator uh, between the acts of uh, this putative serial stabber that we may or may not have with, with, with these uh, non-canonical murders and maybe taverns in that mix, Against the ripping murders of the phenomenon known as Jack the Ripper, uh, I see as two, two distinctly different acts. So you know whether there's a, I, I can see someone sort of pro- progressing with, with 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 stab wounds up to the body, up to the uh, the knife rack, so to speak. Uh, but, but to move from that that stabbing, very physical, very explosive, pounding sensation to, uh, dare I say, a more subtle, God forbid. Um, uh, method of, of cutting women open, I, I, I see as you know, radically different. Yeah, when AP described about the, the clasp knife and saying it, you know, it was made to be folded. It was something that could, you know, literally be something you'd evade legal consequences with owning. And obviously, what with all the different types of people and um, the employers' employment of the people around there and all that, and the sailors, etc., a clasp knife or pen knife, as we would possibly call it would be something that quite a lot of people would have, whereas perhaps a bayonet, even though I have been told somewhere that you could probably buy them in the market, a bayonet, it's that sort of sort of thing, a clasp knife would be something that was quite common, and therefore the people that, you know, these murders that were done with a clasp knife or a pen knife or whatever could be attributed to a much wider range of people in the area, whereas as the murders went on, we seem to be being described reasonably specialist tools for the job, I suppose. Indeed. Indeed, John, that's a very good point. The gentleman who is cutting off a piece of leather off of his shoe um, on the morning yeah. of the discovery of Annie Chapman, uh, mm. was he not using a clasp knife? I mean, didn't, didn't they examine that knife? and, and No, that was Richardson. He was, he was using a, a, a slightly blunt table knife, I believe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a knife yeah, he, shaped like a table. <laughs> No, Sam, he was using a shoemaker's knife. And I found at least yeah. eight cases where women have been killed with that knife. I would agree with the fact that the, the clasp knife would have been a much wider prevalence. I mean, I know I have a clasp knife. I'm sure probably most people, if you've ever camped or, or you know, <sighs> whatever, you, you, most people have one laying around the house somewhere for, you know, as a tool sort of knife. You know, you need to cut something, you you grab it, you don't take one of your kitchen knives, you take this, so um, the fact that, you know, the clasp knife... Machine Gun Alley needs a knife. <laughs> well, you know, I believe in having a button for every occasion. You know, I've... 
I'll stop. No. But, but, you know, but I mean, I'm sure most people had them in those days, especially as tools. You know, they weren't they weren't necessarily weapons, but it might, you know, sort of. They were tools. They weren't weapons. No. Yeah, trying to say, well, they were all done by a clasp knife, I guess it's true that it's much more likely. It's not like saying, well, you know, they were done by a three fifty seven with hollow point bullets or whatever. It, it, it's probably going to be something that most people do have. Mm. True. So at some point between the murder of Martha Tabram and the murder of Polly Nichols, if these earlier attacks were carried out by the same person, he acquired a much better knife. Yeah, Bowie. <laughs> And see, but see that, and I don't know. I guess this is, could just dissolve into an argument. But um, I, I don't see the difference in, in that. And if he, I mean, I think it has has something to do with access. Some sometime between the murder of Martha Tabram and the murder of Polly Nichols, if these earlier attacks were done by the same person, he gained access to to a better knife. What would have stopped him from gaining access to a to a pistol? Let's say um, after the murder of Mary Kelly. I mean, and and you know, I mean, and this goes back to my George Chapman argument. I mean, is it the accessibility of the weapon, or is it just the use of the knife, no matter what kind of knife it was? If you guys are following my, Can I have a moment, just a moment, just just sort of try and um, sum up a little bit. But um, in in, uh, in that time period. Um, Reported that there could have been as many as 200 unsolved murders, resulting in the victims being found in the Thames, either as bodies or parts of them. You know, we start playing some murders, and where are we going to end up? You know, there's just so many of them. It just could go on forever. They're, they're talking 200,000 um, women. as well. It's, it's, it's over that same time period. Which is why it's much more likely that there were victims outside the canonical five. Just the sheer numbers mean somewhere yeah, yeah. in there, there's a prior victim of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. I mean, just if yeah. you look at it logically and by the numbers only, without any sort of, of bias, someone in those numbers was a prior victim, an unknown victim. Yeah, I, I mean, I wrote down earlier this evening that I don't believe the torture killings or the Whitechapel murders. Hold on, AP. You got to fix your connection because um, I want you to be able to be understood clearly. Yeah, um, I can barely understand him. Um, My crack up. You're cracking up and, and it's echoing as well on your line. Am I any better? Yeah, that's a little better. Yeah, Ooh. okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I wrote down there is I said, I don't believe that the murders, either the torso killings or the Whitechapel murders, were unusual or out of place in that time period. You know, we can easily find uh, equally barbaric murders from those same years, but what is unusual is that the killer or killer were not caught. And and perhaps it's this that um, leads us to this... um, false conclusion that the crimes were related. We're looking at uncalled killers here. And class knives were used so commonly the type of domestics and everything else. No, no. Did that come across? Or? Yeah, it, it, your connection is pretty messed up. Um, but I was able to follow you. And um, well, 
I'd like to go back to Jonathan's question originally, which sort of led to that, which was about the, you know, why, if he got a better knife, why didn't he get a better gun or, you know, get a gun or, or something like that. I, I may be alone in this, but I actually do see psychology in the choice of, and I, and I really don't like psychology, so that's sort of the wrong word, but, but, you know, I read meaning into the way someone chooses to kill somebody, and it's probably just my own uh, bias or whatever, but um, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar, there was a case in Texas where, there's a very, very famous where a guy goes up on a the Texas A&M Tower, and he takes a rifle. And that was at the like, University shoot. of Texas in Austin, not Texas A&M. Right. But, oh, I'm sorry. The University of Texas uh, uh, Tower. And he shoots people, kills random strangers with a high-powered rifle from, you know, hundreds of feet up in the air, a very removed, sort of distant um, a killing. Prior to going up into the tower, he killed his mother and his wife. And his mother, he chose to um, beat – his mother and his wife, he chose to beat the mother and stab her. And the wife, he also chose to stab to death. He had hundreds of guns. He had just an arsenal beyond belief, but the two people closest to him, he cho- even though he had written in his, his, his little journal that he was going to kill his wife as, as I think he said, as, you know, as, as painlessly as possible, he chose to stab her violently several times. And I've, that, that, always, that was one of the cases that sort of started me thinking on this whole psychology of how you choose your victim. And it just seemed very interesting to me that even though he had all of these guns and he was planning very deliberately and meticulously to go and shoot all of these people, when it came to the people closest to him, he picked a knife and and beating to accomplish it. And so I don't think that someone who's got that, um, you know, where it's, it's, there's that rage, whatever component that, 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 that prompts him to stab someone to death would get the same satisfaction from shooting someone. Um, and, and I say that, you know, because you said, but then I just said, well, someone went from a knife to a gun in, in about a period of 12 hours. But I think the motivations were different from the two killings of killing his mother and his, his wife to killing the strangers. So when you say, well, why didn't he just, if he got a better knife, why didn't he go and get a gun? I think that he wouldn't have been able to. It, the psychology of it wouldn't have been what he wanted. Well, and all, and, and, um, and, and, um, my my comment to that would be um, in, in that Charles Whitman is the individual you're describing there in that um, University of Texas Bell Tower shootings. Um, I, I think something might have had to do with um, the fact that he killed his wife and his mother in a residential neighborhood at home. And, and he might have – his ultimate goal was to climb the tower with these high-powered rifles. But I believe that he may have chosen a quieter way of dispatching his loved ones so he to enable him to get away with it. You know, gunshots going off in, uh, you know, the, a college neighborhood uh, at, around the campus of the UT would be quickly, you know, um, draw a lot of attention. So um, I think maybe his choice of, of dispatching his wife and his mother in that way may have had more to do with um, him trying to do it silently. So he would. not smothering or strangling then. I mean, there's lots of quiet, non-poison, lots of quiet, non-violent ways. And he chose 
night. I mean, he had planned this for weeks on end. So, you know, I'm just saying that he chose very deliberately knifing to death when, I mean, he didn't kill his wife right away. He didn't kill his mother right away. He did hit the mother so that she was unconscious, probably. But the wife had a chance to scream. She was asleep, but he didn't kill her. You know, he didn't slash her throat so that she couldn't have. Um, so, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. I do honestly see what you're saying. But I also see that there's elements of it that it wasn't just about the quiet. Because there were lots of quiet method that didn't provide them with an opportunity to scream like he provided his wife with. Whatever, Ali. You're talking my language there. Oh, God. That's probably the scariest thing anyone ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you got you got a killer who's in, his, in a very comfortable family situation. He does what he does, and then he goes out and he does something completely different when he gets out on the street. You know, that's what we're looking at, isn't it? So thanks, Ali. <laughs> There's also cases uh, more recently than than the Whitman um, killing of individuals who, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, who'd go to their uh, workplace, for instance, who would uh, shoot their families before uh, going off on these spree killings. And so after the spree killing is, is done, the law enforcement um, go to the murderer's home and find their families shot to death also. So it kind of goes both ways as far as intimacy, you know, cho- choosing a method of death. Um, yeah. But JM, they always take their anger out on their family and their social circle first, and then they explode it out on the street in a very public manner. They don't do it the other way around, do they? No, they don't. You're right. No, never. Uh. Okay, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about Emma Elizabeth Smith, who we referred to earlier in referencing the uh, the assault on Ferry Fabe. Emma Elizabeth Smith was attacked on Osborne Street in Whitechapel on April 3rd, 1888. A blunt object was inserted into her. She was set upon by who she claimed was a gang of individuals. But the interesting thing about Emma Smith's attack is that, um, well, she survived, uh, was able to walk back to her lodging house. Um, Friends at her lodging house took her to the hospital, and it was at the hospital that she fell into a coma and died. Unlike Millwood and Wilson and Ferry Faye, her name is included in the list of 11 in the Whitechapel murder file. Um, but interestingly, her uh, attack is questioned now by certain ripperologists and researchers. For instance, Deborah Arif suggests that it may have been a botched abortion and she made the whole attack up um, out of fear of prosecution if it was discovered that she tried to procure an abortion. And I think maybe, AP, you might share Deborah's feelings on this. I'm not sure. I'll have you tell us what your views on Emma Elizabeth Smith. But um, nevertheless, it, it's also been suggested by other writers, for instance, Charles Van Onslen in his recent book, The Fox and the Flies, about Joseph Liss. That, uh, and I believe R. Michael Gordon in his books on George Chapman suggests that one of the members of this gang that attacked Emma Elizabeth Smith, if she was indeed attacked by a gang, could have been the Ripper. Uh, one of the more interesting, in my opinion, pre-canonical five murders that people argue about uh, whether or not lump- lumping it in as an earlier attack, simply because, like I said, there's some people who believe that this attack never took place. What What is everyone's views on the assault on Emma Smith? Well, uh, me and Deb's thought about these these sort of crimes for a long time, and uh, she's not here tonight, so I don't want to speak for her. But um, 
I know she has moved more to the abortion um, theory recently. Right. There's um, a finding she had with Elizabeth Jackson, I think. I can't remember now. But um, <clears throat> I'm not convinced about Smith. Um, uh, what worries me here is in the attack on Martha Tabron is the Hewitt's, um, if you get their expanded witness uh, testimony, how they reported that there were gangs of men fighting um, around the time of Tabron's murder, around their their lodgings there, and that has always worried me. Um, um, their, their their report is is really quite conclusive, you know. And you're referring so, to um, gangs of youth fighting around the area of Emma Smith's murder. You said Tabron. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I, what, what I'm I. You know, I, I've, I've always viewed uh, Smith as being an abortion, abortion, if you like. Okay. But then after I read the expanded testimony of the Hewitts um, in relation to Martha Tabernacle, okay. they, they talk about gangs of youths fighting um, around their premises at the time of Tabernacle's murder. I thought to myself, well... Maybe it could have been a gang-related thing, but but my answer was 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 uh, something to do with an abortion. But the Hewitt yeah. testimony is is, is vital. Yeah. The, the press at the time. The, the, it, wait, wait, wait! Hold on, Ali. Let John go. Oh, go ahead. John, go. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the press. <laughs> thank you. I think the press at the time uh, after the Tabram, very very early on after the Tabram murder, suggested it could be a gang. Again, based on the Emma Smith thing and the fact that it was only, what, 200 yards away from where the Emma Smith um, murder took place. And I think they even mentioned it very early on um, for Marianne Nichols. I think it lasted about 10 minutes before somebody came up and said, we've got a lone killer on the loose or whatever. So I think at the time, the, the Tabram one, tentatively at least, seemed like it was sort of linked to gangs at the time. Yeah, yeah it, it wasn't the press reports I was going on, uh, John. It was the the actual inquest testimony. If you get the oh yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Testimony. Yeah, it's uh, they, they do mention that that all night long there was massive upheaval around their premises. You know, mm. and I've often thought that well, you know, with the Emma Smith story as well, it yeah. it could have happened. But my instinct has gone wrong. I might be wrong there. Yeah. I wish Debs were here because I do. When I first read about just the basics of the Emma Smith story, she, you know, was bleeding profusely. She didn't want to go to the hospital. I also thought for a second about um, the botched abortion theory. But in my mind, if she were far enough along in her pregnancy to, to know that she was pregnant at that time, she was 45 years old chances are she might be having irregular periods to start with. But if she were far enough along where she would have known she was pregnant enough to have the abortion, I would have, the thing where I kind of went away from that was, wouldn't the medical examiner have known? You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, they, they, they it would hardly have been the first botched abortion case that they ever would have seen. And so the fact that, you know, there's no mention of that, it seems to me that that, that, that that would have been something that the the coroner would have been able to have determined if um, if if that were the case. And and I was just wondering, that's do you know fair, happen to know? That's that, that that's fair comment, uh, Ali. Um, but but you know, if you look at the case, uh, I believe it's Elizabeth Jackson. I'm not speed on this, but um, you know, Debs has changed her mind 
um, dramatically in some of these cases. Um, and, and she always opposed me about this idea. But um, I think we're slowly beginning to feel our way around some of these so-called murder cases. They were actually, actually botched abortions, you know. But Debs has to speak for herself on you know. Uh, the the Elizabeth Jackson case that AP refers to is one of the is one of the Thames torso murders in which uh, a piece of cloth was discovered um, inserted into the torso that they fished out of the Thames, which has led Deborah to speculate that it could have had uh, herbal abortifacants in it, and and um, and then also the peritonitis which uh, Emma Elizabeth Smith died from following her attack uh, is something that women would commonly die from in the cases of botched abortions. I'd only add that the uh, surgeon at the London Hospital indicated that not only was her peritoneum um, ruptured, but there was significant severe damages to her internal organs. Now, which in my mind does suggest more of an attack by a blunt instrument as opposed to a botched abortion. I don't know. That would have been a very violent abortion. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's just, yeah. But, but they were. They were. <laughs> there's, there's a case in 1888 of uh, extremely violent abortion. Uh, and the guy was up for murder for it. And he was a doctor. And the woman wasn't even pregnant. She died, you know. I can't remember her name now. Uh but th- these things went on, and she was in a disgusting state by the time they finished with her. But again, I mean, we have to also understand that, yes, you know, uh, abortions, back alley, as they are called, were common. But that's, that's not, you know, the, the violent abortion where her internal organs were bruised, that's not the norm. So, yes, okay, if AP can find this case of one doctor who went on trial for murder. I do recall no that one, though. Um, but but you know but right but it's but it's not the norm. We're, there were not hundreds of doctors going up for violating. Alec, you know, the woman died. The significant factor here, I think, in the in the case of Emma Smith, is the peritonitis. I mean, the peritoneum uh, is uh, as distinct from the perineum. The, the perineum is the, 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 that bit of skin between the uh, the vagina and the anus um, and external. But it was peritonitis that she died from, and that's an internal membrane within the abdomen. So whatever this operation, and I use the word loosely, entailed, uh, it clearly punctured uh, the internal organs. Um, You know, hence giving rise to the blunt stick or or blunt instrument theory. So I I don't know what the mechanics of backstreet abortions were, you know, but whether they threatened the peritoneum, which lies within the abdomen... I don't know, and I doubt it somehow. I'll dig that case out, Sam, and uh, float it up on the on the message boards. But it was just, I remember okay. quite well. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll well, one interesting it. thing that goes back to, to your comments earlier, AP, and, and to Ali's um, uh, right at the start of the show. Uh, you know, was the uh, starting off on familiar ground, or perhaps exercising uh, your uh, perversions within the family? to some extent. Um, if uh, the Emma Smith murder was a precursor to the Ripper murders, in other words, if the Ripper or the future Ripper was part of that gang, then it would seem a logical progression uh, you know, to start exercising your violence within your peer circle. Uh, 
Uh, so this, you know, the, the kind of rough kid who moves into town forms a gang around him and, uh, um, you know, brings them all down to the lowest common denominator. I mean, that could be a factor here. So I'm, I'm not averse to the idea that maybe the Ripper was, was, was part of that gang. Um, having said that, uh, and your points, AP, about the um, the uh, Hewitt testimony um, with, with, with Tabra might be apposite here, uh, you know, the fact that these were gangs of youths, uh, I think, possibly militates against the Ripper being part of that gang. Uh, he seems a, an altogether more mature uh, killer, as far as I can discern, uh, whereas perhaps these gangs of youths were, you know, rough teenagers. And I, I don't quite see the, the, the Ripper as a rough teenager somehow. No, I, I, Sam, I'd say it was more of an immature youth, immature than that, more immature than that big that you're talking about. Mentally. Yeah. Mentally, yeah, maybe maybe mentally, but, um, you know, may, maybe not... Not, 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 not at all, no. But, you know, not, not the sort of guy you would hang around with, perhaps 17, 18 or 19-year-olds, which may or may not have been uh, the assailants in the, in the Smith case. Yeah. What do we make of the, uh, the inclusion of Emma Elizabeth Smith in the Whitechapel Chapel murder file as opposed to uh, Ada Wilson or Annie Millwood? I kind of get the sense that maybe the Whitechapel murder file was kind of arbitrary. Well, I, I think, J.M., the coroner at the time said said that, and, and we have to accept that, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned. A coroner linked that, not the press, a coroner, you know, an inquest, and we have to accept his opinion. You're saying that the coroner linked the Emma Elizabeth Smith assault to the Tavern assault? He certainly did, yeah. 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 But that being said, I mean, doesn't it kind of fly in the face of reason that, I mean, here we argue about the uh, inclusion or exclusion of actual stabbing victims who do not appear in the Whitechapel murder file. But yet, Emma Elizabeth Smith is the first on the list. Well, there, there was something about that that made the coroner do that. I don't know what it was, but um, he certainly linked that crime to the others, you know. Mm-hmm. And he saw a progression of, of, of a criminal activity there. Um, I can't explain that either. I haven't really followed that through, but that's the way it is. I, th- I think it might may have been legitimate at the time. I mean, you know, we've got the benefit of hindsight. Uh, but at the time, uh, all the, um, the, the the police and the uh, the judiciary in, in that part of town were seeing were a series of assaults against women, violent assaults against women, in, involving penetration of some kind, uh, be it with a knife or a blunt instrument. Um, you know, as yet, they hadn't seen anything like uh, what came to be known as the ripping murders. That is the, the opening up of, of cavities and the removal of organs. So, I disagree um, with you there. But no, it's, 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 it's a, no I, I, I just see that as a kind of a, a plain fact of history. Uh, we hadn't yet seen any cavities opened and organs removed. I disagree with you, Sam. We had. Uh, there's, there's, there's plenty of crimes. I, I said earlier on, there are plenty of um, murders equally as barbaric as that um, going on all the time. The, the, the only difference is that the, the killer wasn't caught, basically. I, I, I've seen equally horrendous murders as Mary Kelly and Catherine Eddowes and everything else uh, throughout those three years. They're all there. They're not unusual. It's just the fact that no one was caught for them that is unusual. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure about the removal of organs, though, AP, but uh, you know, perhaps yeah, you can enlighten me on yeah. that later. 
Yeah, um, I found a case uh, in 1888 where a woman was absolutely bush old boy who was uh, supposedly for her, you know, and that was only sort of 20 miles down the road from Whitechapel. Repeat, he, repeat that. He's a, oh, hey, Pete, you're kind of breaking up there. Re- repeat just that, what you, you were just saying about that case. Oh, I, I found a case uh, 20 miles or 40 miles down the road from Whitechapel where a woman was butchered in as equally as horrendous as Mary Kelly, but it was by a, uh, someone who was babysitting for her youth, 17, I think he was. And he ripped her to pieces, took her organs out and everything. And he was caught. So it wasn't an unusual crime. What we're dealing with. Oh, no, here, no, what I'm saying is in, in that area at that time, they'd seen a series of assaults on women involving stabbings uh, of various kinds. Uh, so, you know, that whether Wynne Baxter, etc., were au fait, or fairy fair even, with what happened 20 or 40 miles down the road is, uh, is academic, maybe, in this context. Yeah, right. but yeah. No, no, no. What I'm saying is in that immediate area, these sort of crimes are going on all the time. As I've stated before, uh, Jack the Ripper, uh, he's uh, murder tally didn't influence the figures over those years, you know. They didn't. It was the same amount of murders every year. That's an important point. The victims were the same victim group. It didn't change anything. It was not unusual. All that was unusual is that we don't it. That's it. And I think because we don't know who all the crimes are related, but they may well not be. Are there any cases, uh, before we wrap this show up, are there any cases uh, that we didn't mention that anyone knows of that, that could point to uh, prior attacks by the Whitechapel murder? The 200 in the River Thames, JM, they could help. <laughs> there were a lot of dead people around at that time, especially women. Um, we'll, we'll discuss some of the Thames torso murder victims on our next episode. That's going to be part two of this discussion, dealing with some of the non-canonical five victims who uh, post-date well, I hope the Debs, murder. I hope Debs is back for that. Um, I... Uh, I tried to get Debs on today's program um, but I, I don't know I'll have to check on that she, she still may have computer problems but I hope to get her on um, she's up to speed on this I know she is um, we've put um, besides the uh, the Thames Torso victims well, well AP brings up a good point I mean here we're talking and, and this will be kind of wrapping up the show uh, hopefully but um, when, when we talk about the assault on Emma Elizabeth Smith being possibly a botched abortion and then uh, AP makes reference to Elizabeth Jackson and then and just now to other Tim's torso murder victims. And, and this kind of goes back to the whole uh, knife, gun, uh, you know, small knife, bigger knife kind of thing. I mean, um, could we assume that – I mean, is it logical to assume that Mary Kelly, for instance, could have been um, the victim of a botched abortion or, uh, you know, if the Thames, or the Thames torso murders and Elizabeth Jackson's and um, Emma Elizabeth Smith's cases could be related to uh, the murder of Polly Nichols and Catherine Eddowes? Um I mean, what, what, what are your views on this, everybody? Well, if, if Mary Kelly was a botched abortion, there was an awful lot of covering up done afterwards – to try and avoid the fact that it was. Yes. Okay. I don't see that the motivation for any of these, um, you know, could be 
simply connected. Uh, I mean, one can always play the trump card of, oh, well, Jack was a loony, therefore anything goes. But, you know, where does that get us? Um, you've got to take things at, at face value. And, you know, quite frankly, um, uh, while stabbings um, in a, on, on the first floor landing of a, uh, of a, uh, a DOS house or, or a, a dwelling house, I should say, is you know radically removed from having a blunt instrument um, inserted into the vagina, which again is radically uh, removed from having a few stabs to the legs, um, and, and then again you've you've got, you've got these uh, crimes where organs were excised. Um, I, I see distinctly different motives at work, di- different impulses at work, different physical sensations involved. Um, you know, that's not to say you know I'd completely write these off, but there doesn't seem to be that commonality there. There isn't even a logical escalation there, in my, in my view. The other thing, one thing is, um, I mean, I, I'm not great, um, I'm not incredibly okay with sort of serial killer profiling or whatever it is like that. And often people argue about, oh, that victim isn't a mur- victim of Jack the Ripper because. It, he didn't do that to them, or whatever, as if... And uh, is it fair to assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that serial killers aren't robots? They don't do... Ex- you know, they're not expected to do exactly the same thing every time, so you will expect variants. I mean, is that a fair comment to make, or am I barking up the wrong one? No, 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 that's very fair. Yeah. Uh, serial killers are like ships. They never, they never do what you expect them to. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I, AP, um, you have an opinion on this, um, the, the Mary Kelly has a botched abortion, do you not? I do, yeah. And what is that, if you'd enlighten us? I'm going to hold my breath till Deb turns up. Okay. Um, well, if, um, if we don't, um, if I can't get her on next week, then maybe you'll comment on it for next week's show. Well, I'll chat to the meantime, huh? Yes. Okay. So, uh... Like I said, this is part one of a two-part podcast. Next week, we'll be continuing this discussion, focusing on the victims that came after the murder of Mary Kelly in November of 1888, and also we'll discuss some of the Thames Torso victims. So stay tuned for that. Anyone else have any final comments they want to make on any of the no. victims we discussed today? No? Everyone good? Nope. Yeah. Good JM. Good night to everybody. Lovely to see you all again. Good night. All right. Bye. Yes. Uh, thank, bye. Thanks, everybody, for being on the show today. Bye. And that was Rippercast, episode 46, The Non-Canonical Victims, part one. I want to thank everybody for being on the show today. That, again, was A.P. Wolf, John Bennett, Gareth Williams, and Allie Ryder. We are a weekly podcast on Jack the Ripper and Whitechapel murders, available at the website www.casebook.org slash podcast or in the iTunes Music Store's podcast section under Society and Culture and History, or you can search keyword Rivercast. If you have any questions or comments for myself or any of our participants, feel free to email the show at rivercast at gmail.com. And I want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week.